0: The Spent the Rent Podcast. I am your host, Patty Rose. I have two guests today. My guests today are Chief Chris Heppel from the Eugene Springfield Fire Department and Springfield City Councilor Sean Van Gordon. Guys, thanks for coming to this and thanks for doing this.
1: Yeah, good morning, Patty. Happy to be here. Thanks for so your this- glad to join you on a Saturday morning.
0: Yeah. So uh, so this is, you know, ballots will be going out on the 14th. That's what I've been told. That's the big date that they'll start to hit the mail. I got my voters pamphlet the other day. So we're here to discuss a, the, what is it? Ballot Measure 20-311, uh, the Springfield Fire Department levy. And so let's just get to it. The, actually first, uh, I wanna talk for people that are unaware cause I don't know a ton about this. And this question is for you Chief Heppel. Can you tell us uh, how the 2014 merger of the Eugene Springfield Fire Department worked and how it's been financially beneficial And, you know, that kind of stuff and how that whole thing is set up, because I think for a lot of people now, this is specifically for Springfield, the ballot measure we'll be talking about. But tell us how the two fire departments merging works.
2: Sure. Uh, Happy to. So um, actually, Eugene Eugene, uh, Fire and uh, Springfield Fire and Life Safety have been working together since around 2005. So we've actually been working um, in collaboration with each other for 15 years. This isn't it's not new. And um, we started early on, even before 2014, with just the sharing of resources. Um, You know, it's um, when it comes to uh, emergency services and public safety, um, the more we can collaborate, the more efficient we are as as a region. And that's a little bit of the approach we took was from a regional approach. And so we started um, running calls together and then training came together and then some administration then ambulance systems and et cetera. And then in 2014, we brought the, the whole system together. So all, um, all of our stations. And today we operate um, as a, regardless of geopolitical boundary. So what does that mean? Is that both cities put in their resources to make sure both cities are covered as well as their um, contracted districts. Because we also have both cities and seven contract districts that we provide services to which are surround the cities. Um, and then we provide the, the best, most efficient um, level of service we can. Um, with the resources we have. So it's not uncommon that a Springfield fire engine would come into Eugene or a Eugene engine would go into Springfield. And the reason being is um, if the closest resource is um, from a re- either respective side, that's the right thing to do. Right. Uh, is, is to get, you know, the, the quick response to get care um, or fire suppression to, to the site as quickly as we can. And that's the efficiency that we have with it. Um, and then the other part is um, we're just able to share. Um, so it's much easier as a combined organization with a single um, with a single operational structure. And so that also leads out into other things with purchasing of Firehose. You know, instead of two agencies, we can now purchase more in, in a bulk and get a better discount. Right. And then we through a single logistics system. So those are some of the advantages um, that we have been born from this merger, um, as well as overhead. Um, You only need one fire chief instead of two now. Right. So that um, saves you some money. And then there are other savings as we work down through our organization with training, administration, um, logistics, and even on the the line um, with our folks working the ambulances and fire trucks.
0: Yeah, I mean, I think it just makes sense, you know, to outside people when they first come to the area eugene springfield is pretty much one entity until they really learn the nuances and all that stuff so today we're talking like i said before about springfield fire specifically so can you give us a quick overview of springfield specifically the five locations five trucks if that's what i understood correctly and that this levy is designed for fire station number three on 28th street is that correct
2: so, it's, um, so let me drill down a little bit on the Springfield side. Um, so the, the entire department, we run um, 16 stations 24-7. Um, our 16th station is actually the airport, and that has its own different funding mechanism through the airport, and the FAA, because that we're required to have those things there because of the airline traffic. Um, so that gives us 10 stations on the Eugene side and five stations on the Springfield side. And um, that's where we've been in terms of stations for for quite a while now. In terms of um, what specifically we're staffing, so we staff um, four engines per day. And so the engines are what you commonly see um, going to calls that have the hose in the back. They have a pump. They bring water. They bring uh, a medical care um, and three three crew members. And then we staff one ladder. So that's going to be the bigger truck with the big ladder on top of it. Um, and, um, that's also, we refer to that as our rolling toolbox. So that has all of our stuff in it for like vehicle extrication. you have got to cut people out of cars or some type of a rescue. Um, also on fires, they would go in and they ventilate and get rid of the smoke or they'll breach walls or anything. Um, really that needs to be done other than putting, um, wet stuff on the red stuff
0: right? right. <laughs> uh,
2: is the analogy we use. Um, we also operate three advanced life support ambulances, which is staffed with two paramedics. Um, and then we staff one 12-hour basic life support ambulance, which um, we utilize for our lower acuity calls. So folks that may have just experienced a slip trip or fall um, and they've got you know an ankle fracture, but still need to go to the hospital, but it doesn't need that high level of care. We just need that basic splinting and transportation, um, to the appropriate level of care. And then, um, if we need to, um, we can, we can rotate staff to specialized apparatus, depending on a call. So for example, if they're going to one of our contract districts where there's not a water hydrant system, we have to bring more water with us. We would do that with a tender and we have a 3000 gallon tender for that. We also have apparatus for, um, operating in more of the urban interface area. So when we were working up on the, um, holiday farm fire, we've got a four wheel, we've got a couple of four wheel drive, higher um, lifted type apparatus are a little bit smaller for getting into those um, tighter areas for better access. And then we also, um, with both rivers coming along each side of Springfield, um, we've got a pretty substantial water rescue role. Um, so we've got um, water rescue boats and then um, we have a reserve ambulance. So if we have one of the a higher than normal um, call volume for ambulance calls, we can um, staff up an additional ambulance. So that's kind of our, what we call our deployments, our daily deployments um, on the Springfield side. And um, to answer your question, um, you know, specifically for station three, it's not it's not necessarily for specifically for station three. Um, it's predominantly for um, eight personnel or what we call FTE, full-time equivalent. And then the associated um, training, maintenance, equipment, um, that would go with supporting um, those folks as well as um, our normal
1: operating. Um,
0: pieces right and we're going to get to that in a little bit exactly what this funding would would go towards i'm not sure which one of you guys would want to answer this uh commissioner van gordon you this might be for you but if the uh so where's it at? if what will the passing of the levy cover in regards to operating costs and i think both of you could probably answer that but yeah what would the passing of this and you kind of just touched on it uh chief heppel about you know eight positions So, yeah, what would the passing of this cover essentially?
1: Counselor, you want to jump in? You want me to go? Well, why don't you go about the technical piece and I'll give a a little bit more higher level piece about the budget. Sure. Um, So, um,
2: the big piece here is that um, this is the uh, fifth time that we have requested this levy. Um, And over the years, we've actually brought the number of of staffing required on this levy or supporting this levy down we've incorporated into our general fund um so that's that's a good direction with that piece the other piece is that um you know i usually get the question of so what if the levy doesn't pass well the impact of that is um we're not able to sustain our current system of delivery so right now um we 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 do very well in terms of our having a, a first response apparatus on scene within you know, six to seven minutes. Um, we have a very good cardiac arrest success rate because of the training, not only the training we do, um, but also our ability to get folks onto scene very quickly to do things like chest compressions and provide ventilations, um, provide the, the AED or automated electronic defibrillator type of care. We use a little bit more advanced system than that, but that's what folks understand. So if we start reducing our current staffing, then that's gonna have a direct impact on our service delivery which would increase um, response times and um, decrease the availability of staff to respond on a normal basis. So
1: then I'll give a little bit more context for the, for the uh, higher level budget. One of the things I think the public um, doesn't see when you talk about finances and at, at a city level is in Springfield, right? The amount of general funds, your property tax money, right? the Fire and police spend more than what we've taken in property taxes on any given on, on any given uh, year so like there's a financing in a public entity is relatively complex. So understanding that these this levy's gonna fund those eight positions that go into our current staffing model is probably the critical piece. And then the number that you kind of have to think of is our staffing has relatively stayed flat in the last 25 years. Um, and then call volume has gone up over, over about 40 years, like in the 900% range, some of that's like population growth, things like that. So this money funds people that we have out there today responding to emergencies today. And so the context, I think it's important for the public to see is that this is about, this is going to be the fifth time we do this. So this has been since for is happened since about 2002. And understanding that we have that we we as a council really have chosen to absorb a lot of the increase in costs over the last 20 years back into that general fund through just being creative and finding the money and just prioritization. So really, really, I think that's the context the voters need to understand, hopefully understand is that it's funding those the staffing that exists on the street today, like we have the last 20 years
0: and it can affect everything else if it doesn't. So that's very important. I don't know who in their right mind wouldn't want to support the fire department right now, <laughs> you know, after, <laughs> after what we've been through and we'll get to that even more in a little bit. So this question again is for you, uh, Commissioner Van Gordon. How does the funding structure of the levy ensure that the tax dollars from Springfield residents stay in Springfield?
1: So when it comes to the, the merged fire department, um, the actual funding is done on both, uh, separately on both sides of the depart- uh, on both sides of the freeway. So when we're when we as a city, Pat, we take Springfield dollars, which the city collect, would collect these levy numbers, uh, levy dollars, and then we choose what level of fire service that we want at the at the city level. So the chief actually manages two separate budgets, and they're sort of kept, you know, they're kept light years apart. So dollars that Springfield spends buys services on the Springfield side.
0: Okay yeah, that answers that well so uh, how much is the increase in taxes it to an average springfield residents? and we talked about how these levies are, are really common, so can you speak on like what is the cause of every year of an increased yearly budget?
1: So yeah, I think there's two interesting questions in here, right so the average the average number in the literature is the average taxpayers paying about $65 a year across this levy. And then it's, this is the increase that we asked for is about a $6 increase annually. Now, when you read the literature, um, you know, it's going to refer to a $175,000 a year tax, you know, assessed value. So just keep in mind that when you talk about taxes, you're talking about the assessed value of your home, not your market value. So we always, we all get taxed on a much lower level than what our homes valued at. So it seems relevant. Um, So a lot of places in in the, in post measure five, right? Like in um, the property tax measures in the nineties, cities have had, you know, have come back to these operating levies. We use two of them in the city. There's a public safety levy for police and then a fire uh, levy for Fire that allows people to fund operations, and the voters to sort of tax themselves to fund additional operations, which is kind of the context of how, how you you know how you get this far. The interesting thing is when you choose to do that, you cannot have that levy out there more than five years. So under state law, we ask the voters, "Hey, look, you know, do we want to increase our taxes for fire?" We have to say, "Hey, look." do you want to increase your taxes for five years? And in five more years, we would come back
0: and 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 ask you? Yeah.
1: Yep. So in 2025, we'll be back having this conversation again.
0: Right. I'll just copy and paste this interview. (laughs) Uh, So um, uh, this question is for you, Chief Heppel. We kind of touched on it about the eight positions, but the website also touched on it. So the question, the way I wrote it was the website indicates the passing of the levy would fund eight firefighter paramedic positions and staff one of the five existing fire trucks dedicated to Springfield. Would these positions be new or existing staff?
2: They're existing staff, as Councilor Van Gordon said. We actually haven't expanded our fire uh, capability, especially our fire suppression capability, in, in o- over 20 years. Yeah. Um, we built a new station. We haven't added an engine. We haven't added a truck. Um, but counter to that, our call volume has um, has gone up exponentially. Wow. Um, so let's just to say, um, our folks are busy, are very busy 24, seven, um, very, very busy. Um, as a whole, our system, um, in, ter- in my entire system, we see over 40,000 calls for service a year. Um, we transport over 22,000 patients a year. Wow. So, um, if you were to compare that to, um, you know, the, the population of Lane County, um, we transport a large portion of Lane County in the back of our ambulances annually.
0: Yeah, well, yeah, so pretty important, you know. It's and uh, you know one thing that maybe uh, Councilor Van Gordon can talk about the effect with COVID on city government's funding is going to be devastating, you know. So this is going to be this is going to be really big. Yeah, maybe you can touch on that and why this is you know so important right now because in the coming years what that's going to look like for city government with just funding.
1: Yeah, like um, across state and local governments. I haven't talked to a colleague um, that work that is an elected official in a state, uh, either in a local government at any level that is not like continues to worry about their their uh, funding in the five year range. Um, You know, a lot of times I don't think we're fully around, you know, what is the implication of, um, you know, to the public, the public dollars, because we're in a bad recession, people are hurting, right. And once at some point that we're going to get to a point where we're going to, you know, have to figure out how to close that gap, right, because our hospitality industry is hurting really bad. And that's a huge part of Lane County. Like, I don't really see us getting out of this recession as, uh, as Lane County until, you know, we can be down at odds and with 60,000 of our fellow friends, right, sharing mm-hmm. up. Saturday, right? Those are huge drivers to our economy. So being able to, you know, solidify the financing around the fire department, is going to let us sort of focus on business redevelopment, you know, understanding and making sure the budget continues to be balanced and making sure that we're pro- providing as much in the way of services as possible in, in the next coming
0: years. Yeah. So, I mean, again, for anybody listening or watching this, I think it's just really important that this passes because, you know, we, we, But like we kind of touched on before that if this doesn't pass, then it gets, you know, we have to kind of dip into the general fund and then that covers all the other things. And so it just makes everything a lot more difficult. So if we can kind of just do each one thing at a time, then that's a really good way to go about it. Uh, For Chief Heppel, I want to ask you about COVID as well. How has COVID affected, you know, everything with your department?
2: Well, uh, certainly um, it has changed the way in which we respond. Um, So our, um, you know, the precautions we have to take Um, especially with the unfortunate rise in cases in Lane County over the last three weeks, um, all going on four weeks now, um, puts our folks into a much, just more more dangerous situation. Uh, We're the ones that are responding in the street um, to manage and deal with um, our community members who are experiencing COVID. Um, You know, it's not uncommon that we will transport someone who is um, COVID positive, um, you know, and they, they're, isolating or quarantining at home appropriately, um, but their condition worsens, such as so they might be developing um, what we call primary symptoms, which are shortness of breath, low blood pressure, uh, maybe um, cardiac chest pain, um, et cetera, which requires uh, intervention um, on our part, and then continued care in, the, in a hospital setting. So um, the precautions and the environment is very different. Um, many times, uh, the way we interact with with folks is very different. Um, you know, traditionally we're, we're that we're that that public entity who goes into people's homes on a daily basis. We're invited in every day, um, about 150 times a day. Um, and now, um, you know, it's it's not uncommon. The interaction might be, hey, you know, can you please come outside? Um, you know, if the the person we're here to see, can they come to the porch? Um, and the reason for that is not from a, you know, customer service perspective, it's for everybody's safety. We know yeah. that it's safe to be outside, right? In those environments. And we make sure our folks have the proper personal protective equipment, but we also make sure um, the folks we're caring for are, are properly, um, um, have the proper uh, treatment, but also equipment with them too. So we mask those folks. And anyway, just a lot more precautions. Yeah. Our hospital, hospital is very different, et cetera. Um, And there's also an associative cost with that, you know, um, where we deal with normal respiratory problems annually is during our flu season. Um, So we see it there. But now we're using that same equipment, the mask, the gloves, the eye protection, the gowns um, every day. So that has a uh, impact on our on our costs as well.
0: Would you say that that so firefighters, everyone thinks fire, but I think paramedics is probably one of the more common sides of it. Is that true?
2: About 80 per- eighty to 85% of our entire call volume is emergency medical services.
0: Right. And that was something, you know, I think that a lot of people don't realize that I have a couple friends that one of my good friends, his younger brother was an aspiring firefighter. He, he worked in Salem for a while. I'm not sure what he's doing now, but yeah. So that was the part of it that I was kind of, I remember when I first heard that he was like, no, it's more paramedics than anything else. But so uh, if there's anything else that, you guys want to touch on before i move on because i want to ask you before we get out of here a little bit about the holiday farms fire so um is there anything Councillor van gordon that you'd like to add before we move on um
1: i think the thing that i would at, like to add uh is really that you know we talked a lot about call volume and how it goes and how it's gone it's gone up su- substantially over the last last couple of years right um and i'm just simply speaking from the springfield side and some of this is sort of in the lane county you know goes into lane county as well Um, but you, you see that the fire service relying more and more on cahoots, right. Um, to help and grow, you know, grow that sort of service in Springfield, we have 24 hour cahoots. Um, and you know, a lot of the discussion is how that impacts police right now. In some cases, in some cases that's helping the fire department as well. You know, they've changed transporting contracts, right. To bring in third party providers. Um, I think the chief can sort of touch on, uh, maybe touch on a couple of, of the other elements, but there's been a, there, there's been a effort the last probably 10 years to really look at the right level of, you know, the complexity of a case and try to get that transport into a different level so that we can get into a more sustainable funding model. I think that's really an important point. Mm -hmm.
0: And then, uh, yeah, Chief Heppel, if there's anything else you'd like to add before we move on?
2: Yeah, so one of the questions I get is how can you have, um, you know, the same staffing level, um, but have this exponential increase in call volume? And, the way that we've we've mitigated that is um, what I call is is our our patient rights, and so we're trying to get the the right patient, the right level of care um, to their side, transported by the right type of transportation to the to the right destination for the right price. Um, so um, as you can see, as you can imagine, we see a full spectrum of acuity um, within our emergency medical system. So I use the example of the. Of the rolled or broken ankle, um, you know, that requires uh, a lower level of care versus someone who may be experiencing cardiac arrest, needs CPR. And so over the years, we've done things such as um, we, we use what's called the Clausen's triage system. So when um, a community member calls 911 and we ask a series of questions, um, the whole purpose of that series of questions is to make sure we're getting the five rights. So instead of getting You know, a a big fire truck and an ambulance to every call, maybe all you need is just a basic life support ambulance because it's that rolled ankle. But on the flip side, um, if it's that cardiac arrest, we want to get, you know, um, the the, the appropriate level, which would be two engines, uh, an ambulance, and a chief um, to that call in a very timely manner. So we do triage that way. The other piece we did is um, years ago, we contracted with a non emergency transport provider um, who's been here in our area now since 2014, 2015, and they deal with a lot of our, um, long-term care facilities. So, um, we have a a number of those in the Springfield area and they manage those calls because typically they're lower acuity or folks need to go to appointments or just get something taken care of at the hospital. And then they come right back. Um, they take care of those call volumes for us. And then, um, we introduced our basic life support program which i've mentioned already um, in fact four years ago this month and the great part about that is that's an opportunity for folks um, who are literally high school graduates and you go to lane community college um, you do one or two terms of what we call the emt program um, you have that as well as a, a a good driver's license and a good background check um, and we bring you on to the department and um, put you through a three-week basic life support academy and after that, you're on the road, um, running calls with folks who do this for a profession. Wow. Um, and it's a great opportunity yeah. for folks. Um, we, we, you know, we, we pay a, an hourly wage. Um, you get a healthcare package, you become a PERS employee, um, and it's a three-year limited duration program. And the key is, is that we continue to work with folks, um, one on their, their physical agility to move up to be a firefighter paramedic, but we also work with them while they're going through paramedic school in terms of their schedule. So um, in the last four years, we've brought up over 30 people out of the basic life support program to become firefighter paramedics. And it's been amazingly successful. And ultimately it's provided an opportunity for people in our community who may have not had access to be a member of our team um, to actually come on board early on in life um, and, and be a part of something amazing.
0: That's pretty cool. So how can people get involved with that? Is it on your website? Yeah.
2: So um, the big piece there is if you um, go to um, the Eugene Springfield website, we talk about our basic life support program there. Um, our hiring um, for that program comes through our Eugene side. So if you look at the Eugene jobs, we're, we do um, two, if not three hirings a year. In fact, we're doing uh, we transition to background checks right now. So we'll be starting our next BLS Academy in November and we'll probably do another one in the spring. Wow. Typically we'll bring on um, six to 10 members um, per hiring. And so <clears throat> there's definitely opportunity there. Um, and the reason why we bring on those many folks a year is many folks go one of two ways. Um, one is they move up to become a firefighter paramedic in an organization and choose this as a career. But the flip side is um, we've seen so many people go off to other careers. Um, we've had folks that have gone off, become nurses, um, physician assistants. We've got one in medical school. Now um, folks really see this as an entry level opportunity to go, is this something I want to do um, taking care of people? And then what type of environment do I want to do that in? Yeah. Um, is it a clinical setting at a hospital, et cetera?
0: So That's really cool for people to have a little bit of a uh, taste of what the fire department's about before they invest cause it's a lot of time and a big process to become a firefighter, you know? So, but I think that's really cool that they can see it, you know, firsthand. So we don't have a ton of time. So I, I wanna touch on a little bit about the Holiday Farms fire. Uh, you know, what was the most challenging part of the decision-making process on how to distribute resources in such a fast moving situation?
2: So um, the primary thought that goes through our mind um, when we're talking about resources and deployment is, um, is, is we look at it in three phases. One is life safety is our number one priority. Um, our second priority is um, property and incident stabilization. And then our third priority is um, actually the environment and what's the impact on the environment. And so you know, I could tell you, I was, I was in Blue River the first night um, when the fire came through there. And obviously our first priority was life safety. So, getting the 46 folks that were um, not able to get out because of all the fallen trees and the fire that was um, moving its way down the Mackenzie River uh, watershed, uh, that was our first piece. And then the next piece for us was um, the insolent stabilization and in property, um, what we could say property wise. And that's why we focused on um, my particular division focused on the school. Um, you know, we recognize that one, it's a historic value, um, but two is what it means to the community. You know, um, and and not necessarily um, the structure, but what it means to the community. And we also recognize it's it's or, it's organizations and institutions like that which anchor a community into recovery. And so um, that was a very important to us, and it was very important to the community as well. Um, and unfortunately, we had similar fires across the state of Oregon, um, transpire. And so, in a normal year. Um, that fire, the holiday farm fire, would have been our number one priority yeah. um, in the state. And so um, when we, what we do is if we, we utilize um, the department resources first, and then we go, we utilize what's called mutual aid. And so all of the fire departments in Lane County, we have a mutual aid agreement where if someone needs help, we come and help you to the best of our ability. And then if we exhaust all of our mutual aid across the county, then we declare what's called a conflagration. And then we um, run a checklist and that goes up through the office of state fire marshal. Then once um, that's approved, then it goes right to the governor's desk um, or, and um, gets approved there. Um, that whole process takes us less than an hour. So to wow. actually to be able to go from that and have the governor say yes on the phone, you need to do that and execute it is pretty phenomenal Wow! Yeah. And that first night. Unfortunately, there were 11 conflagrations declared that night where typically we would have one. Yeah. And, um, you know, two is a, you know, and three, three conflagrations is just a bad year overall. Um, so with that, um, there weren't a whole lot of resources to spread around because everybody else was already at the mutual aid level, um, with the resources they had. What was pretty amazing was how, um, all the fire folks and the community just totally stepped up to go, no, we're going to beat this thing back. And so, um, we, we were putting a couple hundred local firefighters a day on that fire to keep it, um, the term we use to keep it in check um, and taking advantage of the, of the weather pattern that we had um, to start shoring up our con um, our containment lines, et cetera. So that's um, how we did it. And then as um, more and more resources became available across the state, but more from outside of states. So that's why we brought folks in from Idaho, Minnesota, New Mexico, Utah, um, and even the Canadians, we ended up with about 150 Canadians um, mm-hmm. line with us as well.
0: So now my last question, I don't have a ton of time. So, uh, you know, outside of the Eugene Springfield Fire Departments, who are some of the unsung heroes in dealing with the holiday farm fires that the community may not be aware of?
2: Um, I would say someone you wouldn't recognize or an organization you wouldn't recognize was um, Springfield School District. Mm -hmm. Um, pretty amazing in in how they came up and stepped up and provided the schools and the buildings um, for the incident management teams. Um, Also, Willamette Lane with the park system and having to set up a base camp there in their areas were all good. The the nonprofit organizations that stepped up, but really it was the community. Um, The outpouring of support was just unprecedented Um, and I'm, I'm a firm believer in the Oregon spirit or the pioneer spirit. And um, that was demonstrated in Springfield um, during the holiday farm fire for sure.
0: Yeah. This is one of the reasons that I've kind of geared my, my podcast towards more of stuff about Springfield, because I think Springfield and and you two are examples of, of, of people that are making this happen, but Springfield really, it doesn't matter necessarily which side of the aisle you fall on. We can all work together. We can all have respect for each other, look each other in the eyes and work together. And I, I have a ton of respect for, for that you know yeah that big I mean, thing go ahead
1: you know if and i'm sure you've met people right like who've been in this town and understand the culture of this town and join this town and you know just absolutely fall in love with it and they walk away when you ask them and just sort of shake their head and you say there's just something about this town and our ability to work together to get something done yeah is pretty special
0: yeah i've lived here since i was 11 years old and my dad he refused to live in Eugene. And so he's like, for many reasons, he's like, "I don't know." And we love you we love Eugene, but I just really am impressed and and specifically the last ten to fifteen years in Springfield, there's been the difference to me is a sense of pride is it is a collective sense of pride. There's always been like pockets, people love it, you know what not. They have reasons to like it. But now there's a sense of pride with high school students. You did not see that when I was in high school. So that's really cool. Yeah. You know thanks, thanks for doing this guys. Uh, you know for both of you i I really just respect the work that you do and thanks for coming and talking to me uh, for Chief Heppel, I just you know this this really needs to pass because the fire department we saw more than ever, the work that the, that you guys do is just phenomenal. So, you know we're we're very fortunate. McKenzie fire, I'm sure, was just going above and beyond. I've talked to quite a few people on that department in my years as a barber, and those people are incredible up there. So I have some personal connections to McKenzie and Blue River that it was really devastating. And I had someone in my chair the other day in the barber shop that he's the head coach for McKenzie football, which you know, it was I was choked choked up a little bit just hearing him tell me some details. And I'm gonna plan an episode coming up where I'm gonna try to spotlight two or three different people's experiences on that day. I'm giving them time. I know journalists kind of stick a camera and a mic in their face, and I wanna give them time to process it so that we can talk about the recovery process as well. So guys, thanks for doing this. It's an honor to have you both. And so this is ballot measure 20-311. Definitely vote yes on this. You know, you know, know. So sometimes that can be confusing. So this we need to vote yes on. And so thanks for doing this guys. And I'm going to end this with a song. This is, uh, I just picked a random song of mine. This is me, Self-Esteem Boat Willie with Green Man. Instinctively, we are tortured by a gloomy Society, sobriety is a battle second only to Apathy will happen, we we'll awake to find we're still asleep Every day we wake up, take a face and face destruction. destiny, instinctively We are tortured by a gloomy Society, sobriety is a battle second only to mm <laughs>